Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and today we are continuing our series on the five points of Calvinism. And, you know, we've, we've, we've tiptoed through the tulips, through uh, all five points. We talked about a history, then we talked, and, and, and some other things. We had a panel discussion on the topic. And now comes the rebuttal <laughs> from my friend and yours, our co-host... Uh, our former uh, seminary professor, teacher, pastor, author, blogger, podcaster, the one who does it all, Ray Jewell. So Ray, <laughs> welcome to welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Kevin. It's always good to be here. I don't know if I did all those things or not, but... Uh... <laughs> well, I said it, so you must oh, have Oh, okay. All right. So Never tried at a seminary, but, you know. Well, you tried at Judson. Yeah, right. Bible well, college. Okay. Well, we're going to count it as that. All right. All right. But so we, we've been going through Calvinism, and uh, as, as you guys know, our listeners, I'm a Calvinist, but you also know that Ray's not. And so I wanted to give Ray some time um, to walk through what he believes on this topic. And this is going to be scary because I'm not going to do a lot of talking here. <laughs> I'm going to kind of just let Ray run with it. This well, is the opposite of Ray. I, I was just going to say. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, feel free to interject or try to help clarify something that I might say. So I, I could yell heretic every once in a while. Well, that's that's a given. <laughs> You're going to do that regardless. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so the five points of Calvinism, just to recap, the, the tulip thing is just a way to remember these five points. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. And the things about this is that it builds off of the previous one. Um, I think that Calvinism rises and falls on that first point. If total depravity is not the case, then the rest of it sort of, sort of falls. And um, the problem that I have with total depravity... It, it says that, according to this definition, Kevin, you might want to uh, adjust this definition some, too. Yeah, uh, just, to, just to be clear, uh, we, we, we printed something off uh, real quick just to, just to go through, just a, a basic outline. And the definitions on this are horrid. Yeah. They're horrible. They're not necessarily Calvinism. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, but it says here, through Adam and Eve's fall, every person is born sinful. You know, I mean, I know that there are times in Scripture when people say, you know, from the womb I was a sinner. The, the thing is, I think when it comes to salvation, which is what the tulip is all about, primarily anyway, um, even though we may be sinners, how can we be possibly be saved without an awareness of, of being sinners? There's an innocence that is a part of a child's existence. Um, you know, I mean, mom and dad know pretty early on yeah. that, yeah, this kid didn't obey me. That would be a sin. And that's right. But some people, and I don't even like this terminology, the age of accountability. I, I'm not sure what that means. I, mean, I know what some people say it means. But um, 
It's certainly not found in Scripture. The, right. Those words, at right. least. But the the uh, the idea that we are totally depraved seems to take the responsibility for my sin off of me somewhat in a way and places it on Adam and Eve. Now, granted, if Adam and Eve had obeyed God, they wouldn't, you know, sin wouldn't have entered into the picture. Yet, my understanding of uh, things, and we'll get into this a little bit more in a bit here, is before the foundation of the world, the, the uh, plan of salvation, Jesus coming and dying on the cross and stuff was set in place. So, you know, the, the thing that, you know, it's not like God didn't know that people were going to sin. He gave them the freedom to choose to obey him or not. And having made the wrong choice, they, they therefore sinned and needed a way to rectify that. And it's only through Jesus that that can be done. So, you know, the total depravity, the way I look at it, I mean, this, as I've said many times probably, this discussion goes a lot farther back than Calvin uh, and Arminius. It goes all the way back to Augustine and Pelagius. And a guy that I look to often is a guy, a contemporary of theirs named John Cashin. Pelagius said, all men are good. He was looking at Genesis 1. Uh, Augustine said, no, that's not right. They're, uh, they're, they're dead. Uh, John Cashin came up with the, the idea that I'm most comfortable with, man's sick. And he bases that on uh, primarily the, the passages after the fall that talk about the image of God. You know, we're, we're creating the image of God, so there's something about us that still has this desire for God. We might fill it with something else, and that's where sin comes into play. Because typically when we fill that God-shaped vacuum in our lives with something other than Jesus Christ, then we're making ourselves out to be God. And that's the sin. I mean, that's the ultimate sin. It's a pride thing. It's a... No, it's a stupid thing. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so from there, it goes to unconditional election. God saves those he wishes. Well, okay. You know, if I wasn't looking at scripture, I'd be okay. I, I, that makes sense because God is all powerful. He is sovereign. And I even, you know, those of us who are Arminians will accept that God is sovereign. But the Bible says that God has this desire for everyone, not just the ones he chooses, but everyone to come to him, to know him, to, to accept him as uh, the king of their lives. And so, you know, um, for me, I don't, I understand that Calvinists evangelize anyway, but if God only saves those that he wishes, then I don't get why they bother <laughs> because they, I guess, so they can be, it can be awakened in them this knowledge that they, that God has chosen them. Well, God chooses everybody and, um, you know, but he, but he lays that decision in the, in the hearts and minds of each and every person he's ever created. 
Now, if you go, logically speaking, going from unconditional election, you come up with limited atonement. This is the big bugaboo for, I think, a lot of Calvinists even, who would consider themselves to be a four-point or a three-point Calvinist. Limited atonement says Jesus died for the chosen only, not for everyone. Again, that flies in the face of what you read in John 3, 16, you know, God so loved the world, gave his only begotten Son, whosoever, whosoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. Um, you know, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then, you know, the end of Mark's gospel, he talks about uh, everyone having that opportunity. And Paul writes about, you know, God, God loves everyone. So it's not a matter of primarily Jesus' death on the cross is not a matter of mollifying an angry God which Jonathan Edwards would, would have said, you know, he wouldn't use the word mollify probably, but you know, the sinners in the hands of an angry God, that's, that is, a, I, I'm thinking that's a big, a biggie for Calvinists. Yeah. But my response to that would be more like this, and I think it seems to be more in line with the scripture, sinners in the hand of a loving God. God loved his creation so much that he was willing to go to the greatest length possible to have people come to him. You know, and, uh, but he's not going to force people to come to him. Um, he allows us to choose whether to accept or reject his grace for us and his mercy for us. Um, and that's, you know, I think if it's, you know, if you go back a little bit to unconditional election, and even in irresistible grace, it's almost as if uh, Calvinists believe that God has us on, uh, like marionettes on strings, and we're puppets, and we're robots, and we, we have no choice in the matter. And uh, I just, you know, that's... Um, it goes against the grain for me. Some of my Armenian friends would say that is reprehensible and uh, because it makes God out to be some kind of a tyrant instead of the loving God that he is. Um, now, irresistible grace, God's grace is given freely. It cannot be earned or denied. Well, somebody did a bad job of yeah. <laughs> defining that. So let, let me give a definition. Yes. As a Calvinist, I'll, yeah. I'll define that. And, um in fact, we uh, we just did an episode on that, uh -huh. but uh, with uh, with our friend Aaron White, pastor uh -huh. in uh, Minnesota now. Uh, but irresistible grace is the idea that those who have been elected by God will at some point um, choose Him. So God works through regeneration to change the heart of the sinner at some point to then He will. Uh, that, that that sinner will now be, that regenerated sinner will now accept Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, and the problem with, with irresistible grace is people can say no. Um, I've had many a friend, many a friend, who were believers, 
and then decided, you know what, I'm not, this is not true. And I'm turning my back on it completely. Yeah, it's harder to become a Christian than people think. It's also harder to lose out of uh, your place with God than people think. But when you start denying the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which that's the, uh, that's the only thing that is determining of this, I believe. Uh, when you turn your back on it completely, uh, God will give you over to a hard heart. We see that in the life of Judas, I think, uh, certainly in Pharaoh. Romans 1 talks about that. But uh, people like Demas, uh, you know, he was one of Paul's uh, co-workers and turned his back on not just Paul, but on the faith. And, um, you know, I know Calvinists would say, well, then they never really were saved in the first place. Well, you know, that's, that's uh, not necessarily for us to say one way or the other. Um, I think that uh, God's grace is given freely. I certainly agree with that part. And, um, you know, it's not something that's, it can be, it can be denied though. It can be, uh, people can choose not to follow after him for whatever reason. And people come up with some really weird reasons. <laughs> and then the last one, perseverance of the saints. Now, you want to go ahead and define that? because Yeah, the definition on this sheet is horrible. So perseverance of the saints is that those who have been elected by God or chosen by God will continue in the faith until glorification. So there, there's not a, an ultimate falling away. They will persevere and continue to grow in grace until final glorification. Okay. And, you know, that presupposes the, the fact that um, you know, people can change their mind, I think, that they, they, they're not, they will be preserved um, uh, to the point, I mean, a pop Calvinism would say, once saved, always saved. I don't think you're in no, that camp. No. Um, so I guess when I look at the tulip, tulip what I insert into the tulip to make it more palatable to this Arminian anyway, is the elect, it's talking about the church, the whole community of God. And it's that, that, you know, Jesus said, uh, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. You know, it's, it's, it's the, those who come and who stay connected to the vine, throughout this life, then they will be preserved. They will be a part of that. Um, but it's not, I mean, yes, the church is made up of individuals. I, I'm aware of that. But the church has been around since, well, in a sense, the people of God. See, I've, I've come to start using the term people of God because then that includes the saints that were around in the Old Testament. And... Um, uh, you know, so to be a part of the, the people of God is, yes, it's individualistic, at least initially, but it becomes a corporate thing very quick. And 
the only way you lose that is by changing, you know, deciding I'm walking away from it. And, and you know, I mean, one of my friends from seminary, he, you know, he's one of the best and brightest, and then he ultimately uh, became an atheist and has started, you know, he's written several books about that and stuff. In fact, we've talked about reviewing one of those books. Maybe yeah. we should get to that someday. Yeah, I don't know if it's worth it. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I used to live right in the same part of the married student housing as this guy, and we were involved in some groups together at campus. And, um, and his story, the, the demise began when he ended up having an affair with somebody. And then he claims that nobody contacted him. What in reality happened was those who did contact him were not the ones he wanted to have contact him. You know? So he, he walked away from the faith. And I think that that's, you know, you see examples of that in Scripture, and it's talked about in Scripture that it is possible to walk away from the faith. And, um, you know, the only, the, the, what is guaranteed, though, is those who remain true and faithful, and I think Kevin believes this, too, who remains true and faithful to Christ will be with him for eternity. And that's the, right. you know, that's, that's the, the hope that we have, Hope for a Christian is a sure thing. You know, it's not, I hope the Cubs win the World Series this year. I mean, that's, that's a pretty far-fetched hope. Um, gratefully, they did it in 2016, after a 108-year hiatus yeah. from well, did it. You, did you believe you were actually going to be alive to see that? <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> I thought, you know, and, and there were people that I, were lifelong Cub fans that just died just before it happened and uh, stuff. See, as a Red Sox fan, I can relate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Red Sox have had similar issues, but but you know the the difference between that kind of hope and the kind of hope that Jesus brings, the hope that Jesus brings is a sure thing. Hmm. Now you need to choose Him. You need to follow Him. You need to accept Him as Lord and Savior. You need to repent of your sins and and go through all that motions to to get there, and it needs to be a heartfelt decision to make. But then you've got, you know, the perseverance of the saints comes from God, comes from the Holy Spirit living in us, and it comes from each other. Uh, don't divorce yourself from the gathering of the saints, because that's that's how you stay a saint. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's easy to fall right. away, even even with that, even when you have a church or an accountability group or a life group that you're a part of, you can still sin. And, you know, I like to compare David and Saul, King Saul. Saul was chosen by God to be king. And, you know, I think because God wanted to teach him a lesson, the, the people of Israel. I mean, he had Samuel choose Saul. And, I mean, he looked like a king. He smelled like a king. He acted like a king. He was a lousy king. Hmm. And, you know, God let him go to the hardness of his heart. But then there's David. Now, let's put it this way about David. He was a sinner. Right. He was a nasty dude, too. I mean, 
committed adultery with a woman. I mean, he, he wasn't even in the right place at the right time. He should have been off with the army instead of staying at home and lounging around and being bored. And then he sees this woman bathing on her rooftop and he takes her. He, you know, I know people say it takes two to tangle, but what was she supposed to do? He's king. Kings right. can kill you if you don't do what they say. Which is why there was a whole debate a couple of years ago about should we consider that rape or not? Yeah. And I, I don't know if this is a little off topic. I don't know if that woman could have given him consent. Yeah. That's a, but that's you know, I, I'm right. You're right. I'm supposed to shut up now. <laughs> He, he had to, he couldn't help himself. He had to get something. Yeah, this is going to be the but, reigning in Kevin. Podcast. But the, the thing is about that is David had, was described as a man after God's own heart. And he proved it by showing repentance. You know, sometimes it took a while. It took over a year for him to actually repent because he was trying to hide things. He was trying to cover it up because not only did he commit adultery with the Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, one of his soldiers, one of his valiant men, but he ordered Uriah into the front of the lines in a city that they were under siege, that they were trying to conquer, and he got killed. So not only does he commit adultery, he commits murder, and then, like a lot of politicians will do, mm. he committed cover-up. Yeah. And it wasn't until after the baby died, or close to when the baby dies, or is born anyway, that uh, God sends Nathan to tell David that story. And David is like, had his, you know, I mean, it's... David did the exact same thing, or actually did worse than what the story said, and you just got to read it. But the thing is, David did repent. Now, he suffered some consequences from that. Right. You know, let's get this right. Just because we're saints doesn't mean we're not going to have problems in life, that we're not going to have to deal with circumstances, whether we bring them on ourselves, which is often the case, or other you know circumstances uh, cause those things to happen god doesn't promise us a rose garden existence in this life we are looking forward to an eternity of, of the garden of eden and yet uh better than the garden of eden right. because there'll be no more sin no more crying no more tears no more pain the old things are gone and that includes all the sin so so that, that's, that's something to look forward to, but it affects the way we live our lives now. And um, you know, to live as a saint, you know, some people have described the church as a hospital for sinners. Well, it's a hospital for saints too, because you know what? Saints are no different than sinners. They're sinners. The only difference is the blood of Christ. Right. I think I'm pretty much done with this. <laughs> All right. Well, Ray, as we're wrapping up here, um, first off, I want to give myself credit. I didn't curse. I didn't swear. Um, <laughs> you didn't even attack me. <laughs> no. We're going to save that for the next episode. Okay. But, um, you know, we always end each episode with uh, recommended resources. So are there any books or, or articles that, that come into your mind for someone who wants to dig in a little deeper? Well, um, I know that what's in, uh, there's a couple of books that so they've been around for a while now. Um, one's entitled Why I Am Not a Calvinist, and the other is entitled Why I'm Not an Arminian. You know, obviously, the, the one about Arminianism is by a Calvinist, and vice versa the other way. But, I, you know, it just gives a good 
viewpoint into the issues, I think, and what um, just gives you more to think about. Uh, it's always interest. It's always important to know why the other side thinks the way right. they think, and uh, I guess to remember that you know we're all believers. Well, then the other thing, you know. Uh, Hyper-Calvinism, I mean, a strict five-point Calvinist person goes too far, but then a complete Arminian goes way too far. <laughs> I, I'd much rather sit here and talk to Kevin about these things than to talk with somebody who is an Arminian that believes that God doesn't know the future. Right. And, uh, We're not getting you know, into open theology. Open theology yeah. and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I, I would discuss it with him, but... I can't agree with, with what they're saying. All right, and I'm going to throw out there, um, I'm not very familiar with John Cassian. So I'm going to look at it. So uh, you can find his works online. Um, and I'm going to put out here his, the conferences of John Cassian, kind of his works there. And I'm going to throw out a few articles here about, about Cassian. We'll put that in the, uh, the show notes. The and, interesting uh, thing about Cassian, he's... He's a saint in the Catholic Church, but they yeah. also they also condemned him. Yeah, I noticed that. It's, 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 that's kind of fascinating. So I, I, I'm gonna. I, you, you've given me some homework to do. Well, and the other thing, the thing about Cashin that I think is why he was sainted in their in their terminology was uh, he brought the monastic order from the Eastern yeah. Church into the Western and, and basically saved Roman Catholicism. Right. So, and yet I think it's because of his his disagreement with Augustine that he they didn't care for him. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna wrap things up here, and next week come back for the exciting conclusion to our series on the five points of Calvinism. This is where Ray and I are gonna have it out. We're gonna uh, discuss this like fine theologian gentlemen that we are. Uh, but we're going to just, just discuss our differences and maybe even some agreements because I didn't necessarily disagree with everything you had to say here. Right. And I don't think you have to disagree with everything I, I say. Um, so we're going to talk about disagreements and our, and our agreements and kind of wrap this whole series up. And I'm a little nervous. I don't know, because the last time we did a program like this, we were talking about uh, um, egalitarianism and complementarianism. <laughs> and you, you cleaned my clock, to be honest. Well, um, just to, just to throw that out there, but I'm ready this time. <laughs> so this is like my chance for revenge. And as a Calvinist, I'm all about revenge. Well, that's the that no. would be another thing about Calvin. I mean, Calvin tried to force things out to people. Well, yeah, there at Geneva, uh, I, that's yeah. the thing, and that's where I, I I don't I'm not in love with the term Calvinism because. John Calvin was not a perfect person. Yeah. In fact, John Calvin wouldn't have liked me as a Baptist. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, so all right, we're going to say that for next week. So uh, don't forget to join us um, online on Facebook. Look for our Facebook group. And, of course, we're on Twitter at Basic BasicBibleCast and Instagram on that same thing. And then um, if you have a comment, you can email us. Basic Bible Podcast at gmail.com. Or again, you can call our, our phone number and leave a, uh, a message for us that we could even play on the air at some point at 262 427 1473. 
So if you want to call, leave us a message or leave us a question or leave us a comment, 262-427-1473, the official voicemail system of the Basic Bible. Or if you want to give a donation, you know. A donation, we always will take money or food. Food, yes. Um, yes. So Especially if you have a question about food. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, our website, all of that information is on our website as well, www.basicbiblepodcast.org. So join us back next week. We're going to wrap up this series. So until next week, have a great rest of your week.